the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Greetings. Thanks for coming along for the Thursday edition. It's a little uh, fluffy snow out there, even as we speak. It was cold this morning. Yeah, it feels I good. I know I'm a big baby. I know, because we've been spoiled by the 50s geez, and 40s. I went outside and I thought, really? It's just winter. That's what we have to do now. What's going on, man? What the heck? Grief. Hey, um, have you been watching um, the uh, the series, the um, Hunter series? Okay, funny you should bring that up. On Amazon? Because I just last night decided to, because it keeps coming across, you know, it's oh, at the top of the... Oh, it like... Right. So I thought, is that Al Pacino? Yeah. I don't even know what that's about. So just last night, I looked at the synopsis and added it to my watch list. Of course you did. But yeah. no, I've not seen it. All right. Well, apparently there's some controversy about this series. Now, you know generally what this series is about, right? It's Hunters. about Nazi... Uh, Americans hunting for Nazis who are hiding out here. Right. And so Al Pacino sort of leads this crack team, so to speak. Now, it's come under fire from uh, people who run the Auschwitz Museum because apparently the series itself has created a scene where they are playing during the series the um, the heads of the uh, concentration, concentration camp. camp are playing chess with human people, right? I mean, the humans who are being imprisoned. And as the people lose, you know, the, the chess pieces are removed from the board. Those p- people are murdered. Is that true? No. That's the problem. No such thing ever happened, despite the zillions of atrocities that happened in Auschwitz and all the other concentration camps. This scene is completely fictionalized. Now, the people who run the Auschwitz Museum reached out to, to the producers of the Amazon series and said, we're upset. The uh, chief writer and one of the producers whose par- grandparents were in Auschwitz said, my bad. We understand this is a fictional account, but we just wanted to encapsulize the horrors of what it would be right. in the so concentration camp. So it's dramatic camp. license. Exactly. However, having said that, you can understand why the Auschwitz Museum would be upset. Their, their point is saying... Well, there's been plenty of other horrors that have been documented. You could have used one of those to stay historically accurate. What do you think? Well, I think it's a hard question because it's not a documentary. You know, it's a drama. Right. And I'm thinking of one of my favorite, like, historical fiction. Like, a a dramatization of a real-life story was Argo, which won Best Picture maybe eight or nine years ago. A Ben Affleck movie. It is... So amazing. It's the story of the people that were stuck in the embassy in Tehran, right? right? When in 1979. So it is epically tense. I mean, I was watching it on an airplane a couple years ago. I thought I was going to go out of my seat. Everyone around me is thinking, what is wrong with that woman? It is just that good. But in looking back, it's not. I mean, everything in the movie happened, but it didn't happen exactly in the order, and it wasn't quite as suspenseful as they made it in the movie, as far as they got out just... 
Well, okay, but it's a movie. I mean, if you want to watch a documentary, watch a documentary. Right. Um, the problem is, though, in the Holocaust, the Auschwitz Holocaust people say this, that, you know, there's plenty of Holocaust deniers. And then by seeing the scene, which is fictionalized, then it just adds to the pile of, well, oh, look, it didn't happen. And here's proof that it didn't happen. Just one more invention. That's persuasive. Mm-hmm. Right? That's persuasive. Just adds to the pile. Yeah. Now, again, it's not Schindler's List, which, you know, I saw Schindler's List decades ago. That was what I read was as purely historical to the facts as possible. So how do you follow along that? What's fascinating to me is after all these many years, we still, and necessarily so, are talking about the Holocaust. As we should. Yes. We should never stop talking oh, about no, it. Never forget we, this. Because if we stop talking about it, we'll start to forget. That's right. So it's in your queue. It's in my queue. I, I look Will you watch watching. it? Oh, definitely. Who else is in it besides Al Pacino? I don't know. I mean, that's the, all I know about it. I see Al Pacino sort of chewing on scenery, and I think, I need to see that. Hasn't he had... Just an unbelievable career. He sure has. I mean, you look at him and you. Th- I saw him at the Golden Globes. Yeah. Remember at the table, the um, Irishman table. Oh, right. He you know, there. so it was him and Joe Pesci right. and uh, Martin Scorsese and everything. And I looked at them all and I thought, the fact that all of those brains are and faces are at one table yeah. is really like it's we really all should cool. just stop and look over there and say, you know, someday that's, that's not going to be there. Oh, quickly. You know, right? yeah, and we need to really appreciate that. It's a that. bunch of old men. The thing about Pacino is Pacino started in the theater, right? I mean, years ago, he was like a New Deep York death actor. death of a salesman, right? Yeah, and well, he made his transition over into film. Once you find that, you know, that money and that prestige, it's hard to walk away from, I'm sure. Well, plus, he's so fabulous on film. He really is, yeah. I mean... Do you have, do you have a favorite Pacino film? It has to be The Godfather. The Godfather, sure, yeah. How I about, mean, one or two, not three. Yeah, but yeah, he is. I mean, he was good in three, but sadly, the movie was bad. How about Dog Day Afternoon? Never saw Dog oh, Day it's, Afternoon. It's a crazy film. And I never saw, is he in, he's in Scarface, right? Oh, he is Scarface. He is, I never saw that. Again. Is he Taxi Driver? No, no, that's De Niro. Oh, De Niro, right. Yeah. Sometimes I get them. Of course, yeah. Especially <laughs> when I'm talking about movies I haven't seen. Yeah. Hey, listen, we're streaming. We are streaming. Oh, yeah. Find right. us on Facebook, The Ride Home with John and Kathy, or 101.5 Word FM, mm-hmm. and you can watch the show happen. We're seeing ourselves right, right now. Hi. Check us out, yeah. Um, yeah, you can comment on it. You can comment on it. You can say hi. You right. can, you know, do whatever. If you want us to ask a question of one of the people that we have on Don't the show. Don't do that. No. Why? They could, they could put that in the comment I don't section. Be interactive. It's not what, interactive. What do you mean? I'm not sure about That's that. That's the whole. Don't be interactive. I want to be interactive. Yeah, you go John right ahead. doesn't. Questions to Kathy at WordFM.com. Don't want questions to. Seeing. I feel like you're wrecking it now. 101.5 WORD. Coming up next time on Adventures in Odyssey, a dramatic conversion has changed the persecutor Saul into the Apostle Paul. With Sam's urging, Paul tries to convince people he has changed his evil ways and become a follower of Jesus, something Rodney's not too happy about. Will Rodney change his ways too? Learn more on the next exciting Adventure in Odyssey. Tonight at 8 on 101.5 Word FM, W-O-R-D. If your family depends on your income and something happened to you, what would happen to them? You need life insurance, and SelectQuote can help you get it at a price you can afford. SelectQuote found Jacob, 40, who's in excellent health, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for only $19 a month. Not in perfect health? Don't worry. SelectQuote found Tanya, 40, who has type 2 diabetes, a 10-year, $500,000 policy for only $32 a month. We shop companies like Protective, Prudential, American General, and others to find you the company with the best rates. 
Give your family the security they need at a price you can afford. For your free quote, call 1-800-880-7474. That's 1-800-880-7474. Or go to selectquote.com. That's 1-800-880-7474. Select quote. We shop, you save. Get full details on the example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. Your premium could vary depending on your health, issue, and company, and other factors. Not available in all states. She's such a beautiful little puppy. I mean, we walk around the block, and neighbors always say, her hair is so beautiful. Healthy and shiny and glossy. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Fatty acids, omega-3s, and omega-6s are great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. I would really recommend people starting their puppies on Dynavite before they get into what I would call the misery index. Bad skin, bad ears, bad breath. Because if they're getting all their vitamins, micronutrients, microbials from the beginning, then you're not going to run into the problems associated with the allergies, grass, pollen, dust, dirt, fleas, ticks, you name it, and the itching and shedding down the road. Our vitamins and enzymes replace the nutrients cooked out of most commercial dog foods. Dynavite for life. This is Ed Lukasevic. And Cindy Lukasevic. Inviting you and your pets to Dynavite. 859-428-1000. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Does your church have a 2020 vision for missions? PRISM, the Pittsburgh Region International Student Ministries presents the 2020 Vision Conference, Saturday, March 7th at the Lamont. A day to equip your church to reach the nations through local and world evangelism. Ravi Zacharias Ministries' Lou Phillips and an esteemed panel of guests discuss the unique challenges of sharing the gospel in our changing times. Buffet lunch included. Reserve now at pghcommission.org. Stocks, bonds, oil prices slid as investors once again based based for a drop in business activity. Here to talk to us about that, about a free fall, is Jerry Boyer. Jerry is the editor of Town Hall Finance. Jerry, welcome back to the show. How are you today? I'm fine, John. How are you? Real good, thanks. Uh, reason to be anxious today? No, I don't really think so. Um, I mean, unless you have to sell tomorrow. Um, you know, in which case you probably shouldn't be in the stock market right, right. Because, because it's a long-term investment. Uh, but in general, I, I, you know, the rule is, you know, I'm someone who works in markets, but I'm also someone who's worked in media. So I kind of shuttle back and forth between those two worlds. Right. In general, media tends to overhype fear stories, mm-hmm. and then markets tend to overreact to them. People who are emotionally driven, you know, are overreacting to the stories. And the vast majority of the times, the dire, you know, whatever zombie apocalypse or, um, you know, asteroid that's heading for Earth doesn't occur, and then things come back to normal. So the smart bet, if you don't know anything more than the experts do, and I'm not pretending I'm an epidemiologist at all, um, we're hearing from various ones of those, in general, the smart bet is unless you have some kind of special insight, that um, you should underreact rather than overreact to headlines because there's something about the nature of most cable news is and, and that it sells fear and so it's selling it's not selling insight to you it's selling your eyeballs to somebody else uh, to some advertiser so the financial incentive is to keep you glued to the screen not necessarily to give you the best insight I see 
And we recognize that because of the the 24-hour news cycle we're in. They have to come up with something to talk about for a whole hour program. And then when the next hour program comes on, they have to come up with another thing to talk about or the same thing in a different way. I mean, sometimes there's just not enough news for 24 hours. And yet the cable news stations have to be able to be, you know, conversing or whatever about something. So, Jerry, from a financial uh, standpoint, talk about the things that have been shaken by the coronavirus fears. Well, the things that are shaken are the things that are directly dependent on it. And it's perfectly understandable to me that, say, airline stocks would sell off. Um, I mean, people are going to do less flying overseas, right? Um, And to some degree, that's lost economic activity, not deferred economic activity. And that's one of the things you really have to take into account. What are are we talking about here? Um, There's definitely going to be some slowing down, but is it a timing difference or is it a real difference, right? So So people are going to be delaying their trips as opposed to not taking them. Yeah, exactly. And and if enough people delay, then some fewer trips are taken. All right. Um, but things like ordering hard goods from overseas, you know, you're you know, you're ordering uh, washing machines or automobiles or whatever, uh, then that's a delayed transaction. Right. So eventually, you know, they open up the ports again. I mean, that depending on how bad these sorts of things get. And then what what happens in a situation like that is that you have a slowdown for one quarter and then the next quarter you speed back up and you make up that lost activity. I remember, you know, feeling so strange, you know, when we had the 9-11 attack and people were talking to me about how this was going to be so terrible for the economy because it's such a big story. And I said, it's really not a big economic story. It's a big human tragedy story, but the tragedy of something is not directly proportional to its economic impact. And so what we saw is one quarter shrinkage and then back to normal. And then, you know, after that, we actually boomed. So the stories that capture our attention and terrify us the most tend to actually not be of great macroeconomic significance. So look, if we get like another uh, smallpox epidemic, like in 1918, a global pandemic, well, then of course, that's going to have long run economic implications. But we know a lot more than we did back then. We know know what viruses are. We've seen them under electron microscopes. We know how to create vaccines. There's something like nine or 10 vaccines that are in the works for something like this. We're a lot smarter about this thing. Now, someday, maybe there'll be something that will appear that's unlike anything we've ever seen before. But this isn't unlike anything we've ever seen before. We've seen things like this before. This is just a different mutation. Um, And so I think, again, the smart bet is to panic less than the media is telling you to. Mm -hmm. And again, if you needed the money tomorrow, you shouldn't have been in the stock market in the first place. For everybody else, then you keep your eye on long-term effects. And uh, unless this materially changes the population of the earth – which we haven't had any disease do that for a century, um, and we know a lot more about epidemiology now than we did before, then it doesn't really seem to have much long-term macroeconomic effect. So, Jerry, if we're not to panic based upon the news media spin, then why essentially does it look as though Wall Street is panicking because the Dow's gone down hundreds and hundreds of points in the last few days? Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, Warren Buffett said said that Mr. Market um, is sometimes very intelligent, but sometimes he has bipolar disorder. Um, And that's true. I think that there is – look, there's there's wisdom in markets. So markets are signaling a slowdown, no doubt about it. But I think I've mentioned this to you before. In general, markets, especially stock markets, get the direction right 
but they often in the short run get the order of magnitude wrong because markets are still people, right? Markets aren't – they're not some kind of supercomputer that doesn't have emotions. They're still people with emotional reactions. So some people are basically selling because they're betting that other people will sell. So there is a kind of a feedback loop where there, you, know, you, get, you can get bubbles, right? I mean, you, can, you can get valuations that are higher than are justified. We saw that, for instance, in 1999. Well, uh, you know, the flip side of that is you can get panics. And we saw that in 2009, which was really a great time to buy. So there are times of maximum greed and maximum fear in which the market overreacts. Now, listen, I could be the one who's wrong, right? right. And it could be that the commentators are the ones who's right and that the market reactions on a minute-by-minute -minute basis are the ones who are right. All I'm telling you is, having been involved with this stuff for something like 40 years, most of the time – the short-term the short-term reaction is an overreaction, um, and this if this follows the normal pattern, then that'll turn out to be the case today. So then, in this short-term dive that the market is taking, if you had some money set aside, it might be a, go a good time to go in and buy some airline stock. Uh, yes, absolutely. Now, I'm not telling people to do that because there's all of sorts not. of things they need to take into account. But yes, what you have are things are a lot more on sale now than they were last week. So if the long-term dynamics are good for a company and they're marked down, then the people who are engaged in that kind of market timing would, will definitely see opportunities. And we did see a bounce back somewhat today you know, in some of those sectors, although down for the day. So there are people who are like, you know, jumping in and grabbing bargains. That's not my approach. My approach, you know, that I work with is normal rebalances four times a year or, you know, you know, or twice a year, depending on the type of asset class and just looking at what's on sale. But for those people who are actively managing, I think you are seeing active managers come in now and, and buying bargains. Like you, remember that scene from It's a Wonderful Life? You know, Potter's not selling. He's buying. Right. Right. Um, and in general, there are people tend to do well who buy when everyone is terrified and sell when everyone is fat, dumb, and happy. Jerry Boyer is with us, editor of Town Hall Finance. We're talking about business and the coronavirus. Okay, let's look at um, individual businesses and some of the choices they're making. There was an article in yesterday's New York Times talking about, it starts out, this is an article by David Yoff Bellany, and he writes that an oil company and a media group have told hundreds of employees in London to work from home. A TV giant stopping people who have visited certain countries from entering its offices in Europe, and a German airline has asked workers to take unplayable paid leave. So those are choices that either schools are going to make for their students or businesses are going to make for their employees. Do you have any comment on how you think that might end up? Um, I think I'm glad that's happening. First of all, I'd rather that people who are in positions like that overreact. It's a kind of a weird paradox. You have this in the Bible sometimes where God issues a warning, you know, to say to um, Assyria, I'm going to destroy you. And they're terrified, and they react to that, so he doesn't destroy them. So we're so these kind of planners and epidemiologists and people who are running hospitals and people who run public health systems and do, doing a lot of traveling, they're scared enough that I'm not worried. Mm, <laughs> you know right. that they're taking it. it. You know, isn't that it's kind of a weird paradox that they're taking yeah. it seriously? If they were like sloughing it off, if they're saying ah things come and go, then I think oh I'd be worried. They're worried, so I'm not as worried. Um, and I think that's smart. I, I, I think, I mean, I know that there's people who, you know, are afraid of the economy slowing down. That's given. The economy's going to slow down. 
Um, the question is whether we have a per, you know whether we have a long term change. But taking extra caution, yeah. If you're sick, stay home. Absolutely. Uh, if you're somebody who you know has a lot of like you're running a daycare or you're running a business where a lot of people are coming in, I, I would encourage people to stay home. That's how you don't get a pandemic. Because we're all taking this so seriously. I think that we can, um, you know, those of us who are observing it, say, as investors and as economists can say, okay, everybody's aware of it. Is there anybody on planet Earth who is not, who, you know, has access to a screen who doesn't know about this? Is there anybody who sneezes who doesn't think, do I have the coronavirus and am I going to die? I mean, I think people are on, on top of this. And, you know, things like smallpox, et cetera, they sneak up on you. Right. I mean, th- that happened because basically people didn't take warnings seriously. There were there were doctors who were making warnings and there were bureaucrats who were saying, oh, that, th- you, know, you know, you're always worried. Now everyone seems to be at high alert. And I think that 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 really means I think that um, we're likely to be able to handle that. Also, we have to look at some of the fundamental numbers. I mean, you know, numbers are really helpful. OK, so. What we're seeing here is in China, which is largely still a third world country, there's a 2% fatality rate from this, all right? Um, that's not that much higher than the Chinese uh, mortality rate for flu. So this is not some, you know, some mutant you know, genetically create. what's well, a mutant, of course, but this doesn't appear to be some kind of, you know, incredibly killer disease. It seems to be, you know, a virus and acts accordingly. Now, in the first world, to the degree that we've seen things happening there, we're much more able to handle it than, than say, a third world country like China is able to handle it. Um, so we, we are talking here about something with a fairly low fatality rate, even in places that don't have first world medical capacity like we do. So, I'm glad you brought up the Chinese because we'd like to take a break and then talk about them because, of course, they've uh, received a lot of criticism about how they've dealt with the early days of this coronavirus. Right. And interestingly to both John and I, you've written on perhaps a spiritual element of this and how the Chinese are inviting judgment on themselves with how they're persecuting the church. So we'll stay with Jerry Boyer. Looking forward to that in our next segment of today's Ride Home. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just 3 bucks plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. 2020 is the year your business is going to thrive. Or will it? Resolve to use digital marketing to your advantage. With the help from the pros at Salem Surround, we give you all the right tools to surround your target audience and turn website visitors into website leads. Contact Salem Surround for a free evaluation of your digital presence and learn how to get your advertising message in front of today's consumers. Learn more at surroundpittsburgh.com. Surroundpittsburgh.com. 
connecting you with new customers. They blow into town with the wind, rain, and hail. Out-of-town storm chasers going door-to-door, often posing as a local company offering a quick fix to desperate homeowners. If you've had damage to your roof, windows, siding, or gutters and downspouts, you may be eligible to get them replaced or repaired free of charge. Just be careful who you call. Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com for a free inspection from one of their highly trained appraisers. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is the area's premier exterior replacement company for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, doors, and of course, windows. If damage isn't your issue and you just want something new, you'll love their no-pressure approach, no hidden fees, and one of the fastest turnaround times in the industry. A company who will never skip down when it comes to honoring their warranty. Visit the area's premier exterior replacement company at windowsruspittsburgh.com. Mention Word FM for an additional 10% off at windowsruspittsburgh.com. That's windowsruspittsburgh.com. Make mealtime easy and delicious with Bob Evans' side dishes like mashed potatoes and mac and cheese. They're made with real milk, butter, cheese, and potatoes and are ready in the microwave in six minutes. Try Bob Evans' sides from your grocery store. It'll be love at first bite. This is Kathy Emmons. John and I are grateful for the encouragement we have from all of our advertisers and especially our friends at Grove City College. Thanks to everyone at Grove City for supporting the ride home. Listen on your smart speaker, the Word FM app at wordfm.com, iHeart, tune in, and on radio.com, in the car or at home too at 101.5 WORDFM Pittsburgh. Tonight, considerable cloudiness. Breezy with a couple of snow showers and a low 19. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, breezy and cold with a couple of flurries and a high 31. Tomorrow night, partly to mostly cloudy with a flurry or two late and a low of 18. Saturday, a snow shower in the morning, otherwise cloudy, breezy and cold with a high of 32. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. Finance. We're talking about the coronavirus, the economic impact, and a whole other layer with God in the middle. Jerry, you wrote, I don't know how many months ago this was, maybe three, um, about a story that I think is in three different places in the Gospels, two that I know of for sure, where Jesus uh, heals a man who's possessed by a demon. And... Um, I'm going to read here. I have Luke 8. Um, It says that they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. 
When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured, and then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. Now, first of all, this is a beautiful, beautiful story of Jesus for so many in, for, in so many ways and for so many reasons. But tell me how you got started thinking about current contemporary China in relation to this story. Well, I first got started thinking about the story and noticing the use of the word legion, which is a strange word to be used because it doesn't just mean many. There's lots of ways to say many that don't involve mentioning the instrument uh, of an army by which Rome kept imperial control of the world. Um, So that word really jumped out at me um, several years ago, and I thought, well, this seems to be pretty clearly – uh, being saying saying something about geopolitics. Of course, we've talked about this a lot. Sure. We suppress all of that stuff, and we think of these stories as merely religion stories, not politics or economics or geopolitics. But I don't think this story will let us do that because it's using a geopolitically significant word, legion. Right? The legions were how the Romans stayed in control. Um, and then you look at, uh, at at where this is happening. See, this isn't happening in Jerusalem. This isn't happening in Galilee. This is happening in Decapolis. And Decapolis was the pagan part of, of the region, um, that the pagan empires, Greece and then later Rome, they didn't like this Jewish particularism, this Jewish identity. So they started planting cities that would impose classical Greek and then later Roman culture on the region. So these were disputed areas where the imperial culture was being shoved down on top of ancient Israel. So we we have all this political stuff going on that we're kind of blind to, right? Um, and so you have legions are sent there by the Senate, not by the emperor. So you have this situation where you've got this city, uh, which was planted specifically to de-Judaize and to Hellenize and Romanize the area. And then this man is possessed by a, by a group of spirits that are named after the unit of a Roman army. So there's more going on. So this legion is a kind of imperial spirit. Right, I mean, I think we understand from angiology and demonology that there are areas of specialization. I know this is going to sound really weird to some people, and I'm sorry if the Bible sounds weird to us. But if the Bible sounds weird to us, remember, the Bible's not weird, we are. And when we think biblically, the Bible won't sound weird to us. So this man is going around, and what's he doing? He's breaking chains. No one can stop him. That's Rome. Rome is going around the graveyard of the pagan nations, and everyone tries to bind Rome, and no one can, and it keeps breaking its chains, and it keeps, you know, terror people, and no one can stop it. That, that was the dilemma of the ancient world. How do you deal with the problem of Rome? How do you bind it? How do you chain it? How do you stop it from terrifying us? He's also hurting himself. He's literally, he's, he's, it says he's cutting himself in most translations, but he's literally stoning himself. It's lithos, the Greek. By the way, that's exactly how legions were disciplined. If somebody disobeyed an order in a legion, they were stoned to death, which is unusual for Roman society. So what, how do we solve the problem of Rome? Every, every ancient, all the civilizations are around Rome that were terrorized by it, we're struggling with that. The, the, the Israelite nationalist answer was, well, we're going to drive the evil Romans out into the sea by the power of God. Jesus' answer is not we're going to drive the evil Romans into the sea, it's we're going to drive the evil out of the Romans. 
and into the sea. See, he puts a wedge between Legion and the man. The man's certainly a pagan. I mean, he's there in Gadara. Um, so Jesus is saying, you think that Rome is the enemy, but it's the imperial spirit that's, that's, um, oppress- that's um, possessing Rome that's the enemy. And we, have, and, and we Jews, he was saying, have the obligation to essentially exorcise this imperial spirit from Rome. The idea is not, to, is not that the Romans are evil, we, so we must destroy them. The idea is to redeem them. And that's Jesus's message over and over again in dealing with the, with the Romans. So what about China? Um, because, you know, almost one year ago today, I was on this show with you two talking about China's persecution of the church in an article that I'd written for the Asia Times and a study that I had done that showed that regimes that are the worst persecutors of the church have a vastly higher prospect of regime change and, and you, know, uh, you know, being kicked out of power than ones that don't mistreat the church. And was warning in the Asia Times, which is, I thought, the best place I can do it, warning the Chinese government that they are mocking God and that they're calling judgment down upon themselves. And that they might think that they're fighting Christians, but they're not fighting Christians. They're fighting Christ, Christus Pantocrator, mm-hmm. Christ the ruler of all, and it's not a good bet to make. And then they get this swine flu, which, again, I know this sounds strange, but, you know, there's some there's a symbolic appropriateness to the legion, you know, to the Gerasene demoniac, which is an anti-imperial story being, you know, that we're told about Jesus. And now we have, a, you know, this pandemic that um, is severely harming the Chinese economy and even more to the point is destroying what's left of the credibility and legitimacy of the Chinese regime. So I don't I really don't think we should rule out the idea that providence has a purpose in this. Um, and that this government has invited judgment. I'm not saying that God's out there spreading you know, this disease to kill people. These judgments are sort of inherent in the evil action. So if you have a cult of personality and you're worshiping Xi, then no one can take any, any blame for anything. Bad news doesn't go up the chain of hierarchy. Only good news goes up the chain of hierarchy. And so these things have embedded in them. The, ju- the judgment is inherent in the sin. In a personality cult environment, people in, in, in central power don't find out bad news soon enough to actually deal with the problem. And so, Jerry, what's fascinating is as this personality cult has come upon China, while the coronavirus is in blossom, President Xi, for the most part, has disappeared from public view. Yes, um, and that's be- I mean, there's a shame to this. This is a catastrophic failure. This is a loss of face. China was already dealing with loss of credibility. I mean, the Chinese regime was kept in power by a combination of fear and some kind of personality cult. But why did they start upping the pressure on the church? Why, last, Really, about this time last year, they really started upping the Xi cult, and they started putting his image in churches, and they started you know, telling churches that they have to quote from him rather than quote from the Bible. That's not a sign of strength. That's a sign of desperation. They're responding to some perceived threat, like Nebuchadnezzar having bad dreams or Pharaoh having bad dreams. But instead of having a Daniel that they turn to, they just double down on self-idolatry. Um, now, with the handling of this, the, 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 the legitimacy is even further disrupted. So this is a regime that has almost no credibility left whatsoever, and they impose that on themselves. And I think that's in the nature of personality cults. That's in the nature of idolatry. Any regime which is making war on the church 
is making war on reality itself, because the church is the representative of the God who is behind all reality. Jerry Boris with us, editor of Town Hall Finance. Jerry, before we break, I want to go back to the scripture for a minute, uh, Luke 8, the passage that I read. So in your extrapolation uh, and analysis of the passage, you're not saying that the passage is a parable, right? You're just saying that no. there are two, there are, there is a, there's a physical thing that happened and then there's a larger meaning that Jesus was hoping to teach the people through it? Yeah, or let's do it this way. All the miracles are also parables. They're not just magic tricks. I think we tend to look at miracles as, wow, something weird happened. Therefore, there's a God. And that, you know, uh, the Bible refers to them as signs, which means they have content to them. So when Jesus is healing the blind, he's not just healing blind people. He's also making a comment about how Israel's leaders had become blind, Mm -hmm. right? So the miracles have content, right? Like a magician does a magic trick. All it has to be is impossible, and yet it happened anyway. But that's not the way Jesus is doing it. These aren't dumb miracles. They have inherent meaning. The specifics communicate information to us, and this one is dealing with the geopolitical issue of the time, the reason that there is a city of Gadara in the first place. How do you deal with the problem of empire? Um, And everyone said, well, you got to kill the Romans. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't kill the Romans. What you have to do is rescue the Romans from the demon that's causing them to oppress you. They're as oppressed as you are. The oppressor is as oppressed as you are. So that's the meaning behind the actual historical event. Jerry Boyer is with us. He's the editor of Town Hall Finance. Yeah, it's fascinating. So we're talking about uh, China, uh, Xi, the coronavirus, the economic turmoil from that, and what it holds for us here in America and perhaps the world as well. So Jerry's going to stay with us. We'll take a break and uh, hope you stick around as well. I'm going to ask him if he's buying Clorox wipes. (laughs) That's the stock to get, isn't it? Did you buy Clorox wipes? I did not. You know who needs to buy Clorox wipes is Mike. Yeah, new Mike. Uh, He is uh, deeply sick. Anyway, stick around. we got much more ahead. 101.5 WORD. He was a devout Muslim, but when two Christians befriended him and told him about Jesus, Abdu Murray was intrigued. On the next Focus on the Family, you'll hear Abdu's incredible testimony about the two men who changed his life forever through love, respect, and openly telling him about Jesus. Next time on Focus on the Family, tonight at 8.30 on 101.5 WORD. We have a major problem here in Pennsylvania, very much like other addictions plaguing our communities. The threat is unregulated gambling on illegal slot machines, camouflaged as skill games. They're popping up everywhere at gas pumps, pizza parlors, and your local convenience store. State police describe these places as breeding grounds for loan sharking and money laundering. If you object to your community becoming a mini Las Vegas, make your voice heard. Call one 888 472-4418. Report those places that are enticing our kids into gambling disguised as entertainment. It's an activity that siphons money away from the Pennsylvania Lottery, whose proceeds go to supporting seniors in our state. Please phone now. This is serious. That number again is one 472 4418 Paid for by Pennsylvanians Against Illegal Gambling. Executive Board Member Peter Shelley. If you're a licensed counselor in Pennsylvania, Grace Wellness Center doesn't want to hire you. They want to partner with you. At Grace Wellness Center, you'll find the personal support and professional development you need to build your ideal clientele. 
Grace Wellness Center invests in you so you can invest in your clients. Get the support, training, and personal coaching you need to pursue your passion and build the kingdom with offices throughout Greater Pittsburgh. Join the team at thegracewellnesscenter.com. Hi, this is Joe Belanti with J&D Waterproofing at 1-800-BURY-DRY. In honor of our 81 years serving the tri-state area, we are offering great savings for all our new and past customers. Call 1-800-BURY-DRY. That's 1-800-BURY-DRY to get your savings on basement waterproofing, bowing or cracking walls, and or footer stabilization projects. Or visit us at jdwaterproofing.com. J&D Waterproofing, family owned and operated since 1939. Choosing your child's school is a big decision. You want more than a great education. You need an education partner with high academic standards who respects your values, offers a safe place to learn, and where your child is known individually. For 35 years, Eden Christian Academy has provided ACSI-accredited college preparatory academics and a strong spiritual foundation of character and faith for students in preschool through 12th grade. Schedule a personal tour during Admissions Week, March 9th through 13th. Learn more at EdenChristianAcademy.org. with this editor of Town Hall Finance. We're talking about the coronavirus. So, Jer, we started off in our first segment talking about uh, the coronavirus and its interaction with the, with the business world. But I, I guess I want to close with, uh, like, spiritual thoughts on the coronavirus. I mean, Christians have lived through horrible, difficult things throughout history. And uh, God has not deserted them, and Jesus is no less on the throne uh, than he was. And um, so give some encouragement to people who are listening who are maybe really scared by this. Well, I guess I'm thinking about the persecuted church in China, right? Because China is the Rome of our times. Um, And it can either be, I mean, it's the demoniac, you know, it's wandering around, it's breaking the chains. Um, And what we're seeing is that the Christians were under attack, and the people who are attacking them are now humiliated by their failure, and Christians are caring for people with the coronavirus, which is exactly how the church conquered Rome um, with the gospel in the first place. And I think it's the beginning of the church conquering this new Rome of China. So what's the 21st century going to be? 21st century is going to be whatever China makes it. You know, you're talking about one and a half billion people um, that's, and who are now waking up. I mean, it's now an economy almost as big as ours. So the character of the next century is going to be the character of China, really, in many ways. Um, and will it be influenced by the gospel or will it be influenced by a malpersonality cult? This shaking is causing the things which cannot be shaken to remain. Um, so I think it has geopolitical significance. As for us, I'm, I, I don't understand why we're scared. We have, we have the, you know, the greatest medical system in the world here in the United States. We're a first world economy. We're way on top of this. Turn the TV, TV off. I mean, if they're just scaring you all day, mm-hmm. I mean, this has certain political benefits, right? People who want to sure. imply that President Trump isn't handling it right are going to flog this. And people who want to scare you about foreigners, because that's a, that's a theme for on the right. You know, it's good that we have all the borders closed because of, you know, foreigners, um, they're going to scare you in a different direction. This fear is, I mean, first of all, it's not appropriate for Christians to live in fear. But second of all, it's not appropriate for Christians to live in inappropriate levels of fear that are completely out of proportion to the underlying risk. Why are we the most scared people in the world? I don't understand. We need a significant shift in Christian culture away from a culture of fear. Maybe it's 
you know, our generation grew up in eschatology where, you know, a lot of people who are baby boomers now didn't think they were ever going to be old. They thought that Jesus was going to come back, you know, because I, I don't know, Israel in 1948 or something like that. I mean, maybe our eschatology makes us afraid. We lost some culture war battles. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but we are culture dominated by fear and that should stop. And if we're scared of a fairly ordinary virus that we have months and months of advanced warning about and that has a 2% fatality rate in a third world country that ignored it for months, then I think we really need just a kind of a gut check spiritually on who we are. I'm into that. That's good. Hey, Jer, um, as you exit, um, people listen to you here and they want to know more about you. Do you publish at a central location? Is there a place people can kind of go and, and see what you're talking about? Well, when I publish articles, I do it at Town Hall Finance. I also do it at Affluent Christian Investor, which is my own page. You know, probably the best way to reach me is just on any social media. Everything I publish, I put there. So you got me on Facebook. You have me on LinkedIn, um, uh, Twitter. Um, just remember B-O-W-Y-E-R. And you can just follow me there, and then you'll get all the Town Hall stuff, and you'll get all the stuff I do for Salem. And this, you know, when this interview is available in a, couple, in a day or two, we'll put this here as well. Uh, so probably social media is the best way to get everything that I do. This interview will be available as soon as uh, our show's over, Jerry. I yeah. mean, we don't even have to oh. wait a day anymore. I'm sorry. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. The nice. All, All right. you have to do, and we, you can watch the whole thing on uh, Facebook, and you can see your little mug at the bottom as we're talking to you. I mean, we got. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching that in real time. It's a little weird. Is to it watch weird? Myself there. You should be us, yeah, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait till we bring you in the studio. We'll see how weird you feel. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. God bless you both. Always our pleasure, Jerry Boyer, Town Hall Finance. You can find him anywhere: Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. B O W Y E R, Jerry Boyer. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. Hello, is this thing on? Okay, uh, could I get a little more volume? Whoa, whoa. Okay, never mind. It's fine. Just there, right where it is. Hey, if your AV system sounds like this, or if it sounds like this, or if it sounds like this, you need good sound. Uh, guys, I think we lost... Uh, okay, hey, we're back. You need good sounds. Good Sound specializes in design and installation of audio-visual equipment for churches and schools. You might not need new equipment. An expert adjustment might be all you need to get the most out of the equipment you already have. So visit goodsounddesign.com. Oh, come on! <clears throat> uh, that's goodsounddesign.com and click the $99 evaluation to schedule a general tune-up and review of your current AV system today. Because remember, if it can't be heard... <sighs> Let's try that again.
If it can't be heard, it can't be good. Good Sounds. Book now at goodsounddesign.com. Does your church have a 2020 vision for missions? PRISM, the Pittsburgh Region International Student Ministries presents the 2020 Vision Conference, Saturday, March 7th at the Lamont. A day to equip your church to reach the nations through local and world evangelism. Ravi Zacharias Ministries' Lou Phillips and an esteemed panel of guests discuss the unique challenges of sharing the gospel in our changing times. Buffet lunch included. Reserve now at pghcommission.org. This is Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, and we want to help your house feel more like a home with some of the lowest refinancing rates ever. Rates have dropped so much that many Americans can reduce their rate. You may be able to save money on your monthly mortgage payment right now. The rate today on our 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 3.99%, APR 4.23%. Call us at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rates subject to change. Pay 2% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states and MLS number 3030. It's a glasses alert. I'm trying. But yes, hey, we are streaming live. You can find us on Facebook at 101.5 Word FM on Facebook or the Ride Home with John and Kathy. You can check us out. There we are. Hi. Very nice. Hi, everybody. How's All your right. parallel parking, uh, parking my, skills? My parallel parking skills are outstanding. Mine are too. 10 out of 10. I take great pride Me in my too. parking skills. I feel very good about mm-hmm. myself when I have to parallel so park. So when you see these new the ads for the new cars where the guy, you know, parallel parks and the car does it all, I go, that is so bogus. Cheaters. Really cheater, right? You're relying on technology. Gosh. It's worse than deflate gate. Yeah, okay. So there's an article in today's Wall Street Journal. Are you a parallel parking genius? Too bad. Driving tests don't care anymore. What, are you kidding me? This is the end of humanity as we know it. It is, but Pennsylvania is staying strong because to get a driver's license in Pennsylvania, you must parallel park. And let me tell you this. It's very hard. And when my daughter took her driver's test, I thought we were all going to have anxiety attacks because she practiced about 10,000 times. Good. I mean, it was over and every every single night we were at those stupid barrels Uh at the DMV thing. Every (laughs) single night. I was so sick of going there. But she can do it. Yeah. And why are we making things like this easier? Because the technology is going to do it for us, apparently, in the future. Well, Okay, if you saw the story about Tesla today, how they're being charged because there was another person killed right. with their you know, autopilot system. Right. We're nowhere close. To automated driving. Absolutely not. The Jetsons have uh, not happened yet. So everyone should still learn how to parallel park. What's amazing about the Wall Street Journal article, though, is how many states have nixed it. Yeah. Have you seen, you know, when you see people do badly at parallel parking. I laugh. Isn't that mean? <laughs> I am a bad person. No, it's not. It I mean, makes... shouldn't be news to anybody, but I am a bad person. No, no. It makes you feel better, a little better about your own skill because I think, get out of there. Let me do it for you. Okay. The best thing is being in the strip because the strip, you have to parallel park. Oh, yeah, sure. And you have to do it under duress mm-hmm. because everybody behind you is, is like waiting. laying on their horns for you to do it in a big hurry. It is so, I mean, I've done it for years and so I'm good at it. Yeah. But let me tell you, when I bring my daughter down and- this is the one who spent, you know, all that time. 800 hours practicing. She still like loses her mind down there because <laughs> it is like you must perform Pressure. now. Yeah. But what's going to happen? Like places like the strip are going to dry up if nobody has to learn how to parallel park. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, aren't you shocked? I, look, whenever we leave here and we go home, I'm constantly amazed at how poor people are driving because of this. That phone. Right. Li- literally, it should turn off when we get in the car. 
that should, should be a safety feature. Turn right? off. You think that you know all the different you know the the smoking programs and you know mothers against drunk driving mm-hmm. and all that. This shut it off really because people. How many you drive by somebody and they are looking down at their phone while they're on the parkway driving thirty miles an hour, and you think, get off the phone, you're going to kill yourself and somebody else. Those people never learned how to parallel. Park. No, probably okay. not. Okay, no. Yeah. Here's an important question: yeah. When you took your driver's test here in Pennsylvania, yeah. did you have to parallel park? Oh yeah. I oh did, yeah. I didn't. What? Why? I didn't because you could either go to to Washington Boulevard oh. or go to Butler. You went and to I, Butler, and I went to Butler, and I oh. didn't have to. I went to Washington Boulevard. That, that was rough because that was the time when the state police themselves were doing the actual driving exams. Talk about perform now! Oh my gosh, that's a lot of anxiety. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just part of the deal. If you're gonna, you know, earn your license, learn how to parallel park. I'm on your side. That's all. Okay. So speaking of poor driving. Uh, saw this. This is in today's trip. The the drivers are jerks. So says the headline. But no, I don't. This is not me. But uh, are you gonna say you're gonna say something inflammatory? I am. So please don't be upset. Oh, I can't wait. I'm just delivering. I'm the excited. Rest. Mike, are you ready? It's gonna be inflammatory. Whatever it is. Drivers are jerks to pedestrians, but rich drivers are the worst. Oh, oh my goodness gracious. Okay, so here's what happened. So uh, this study went underway. Is this written by Bernie Sanders? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's written by Chris Pastrick from the Trib. Okay. So a study w- was underway uh, in Las Vegas where they took 550 pedestrians and they had them walk up to the crosswalk. It was a white woman, a black woman, a white man, a black man. And so then they looked at the you know how the variables were. You walked up to a crosswalk. Did the, did the people in the car stop and allow you to cross over or not? What they found was that only 30% of people who were driving allowed the person to walk across the Who's street. In, somebody is in the crosswalk and only 30% of the- 30%. That's, and that's wrong. the higher priced your car, because they ran video through the whole thing, the less it plummeted to like 20% depending upon the quality of your car. That's lame. And, that is course, bad behavior. Yes. And you'd not be surprised if you were a black man, far less involvement, black woman, a little better than white and black. Don't tell me about it. This is a So survey. wait, so the black woman gets the best treatment? No, no. No, no, no. No. White women, white, white women man, get the best treatment. White oh, then, women, then, white man. Then white men. Black women, black man. I mean, it's a study that was why done. Can't, why can't we make progress in America? So but just be careful walking across the street. Why can't we make progress? Do you walk in your neighborhood? Because we don't have sidewalks. Do we you? don't. No, we don't either. What is the deal with that? I every time I walk in a, or a drive through a neighborhood that has sidewalks, I'm envious. I know. I feel like whoa. Oh, I really would love to have here sidewalks. Here I am up here St. Clair or Mount Lebanon or something like that. I'm walking in Forest Hills. Like you're taking your life in your I hands. I agree. I agree. Right? Now speaking of taking your life in your hands, I think it's time to acknowledge New Mike. Now New Mike is in the other room, and the Duffy cam is not yet set up, so you can't see him on the live stream available on Facebook right now. Yeah. But. To bad. say he's sick, I'm not sure sick is summing up his current situation. He's wearing a... What, is that his a, winter coat. Yeah. Is that a North Face coat? Is yeah, it's that, a North Face coat. Yeah. It, it is. It's yeah. zipped up. North he, Face jacket. He, he's yeah. got his hood on. Mike looks like he's six waiting for the bus to show up. Seriously. <laughs> it's like Linus in <laughs> the him. other room. Look at him. Seriously. I don't even care. But let's, let's see that really shot pathetic. again. Yeah, please, let's Mike. pull out the Duffy cam again if you can please go back there to There we go. Yeah, there okay. he goes. There. Okay. So that's, that's the hood. You can, you can see the tip of the hood there. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, what is ailing you? 
Uh, I just got a cold. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's just he's got, got a cold. cold. Right. I feel like it's progressed beyond cold. I think so, too. He, I feel like he needs to exit at 5 o'clock. Right. Except uh, who would run our show. I saw him the other day eating chicken soup, and apparently it has not done the job. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Mike. I thought chicken soup was like healing for all these things. Mm-hmm. No. At least it's not the coronavirus. Yeah. Do right. we know, though? We do not know. We don't know. We haven't tested him. Right. Is there a test? Oh, there is uh, a test. They have is to there have... a test? Yeah. Oh, well, there's that's... a test, but no cure. Right. So if we find out that you have it, Mike, sorry, oh, there's nothing nice. we can oh, do yeah. anyway. Nice. He's in there hacking. <coughs> Look, oh, thanks, he's having man. a big cough. We've got a gigantic container of the Clorox wipes out here in the hallway. Now, sadly, the producer or the director of the program, Gary Dixon, also in the same room right. with Mike Duffy, uh-huh. uh, soundproof. And anything Mike's coughing out, certainly Gary's breathing in. God bless you all. You're sacrificing your very lives for the ride home with John and Kathy, and we appreciate that. If you'd like to watch today's program and see what in the world is going on, find us on Facebook, 101.5 mm-hmm. Word Pittsburgh, or the ride home with John and Kathy. We're going to talk in the 5 o'clock hour about the resurrection of Jesus and finding confident faith in science. You don't want to miss this. Joshua Swamidas will join us in just a little bit. We'll take a quick break for a news and weather update. Oh, you want that? Ask Alexa to play the word Pittsburgh to hear us there. We're on your Google speaker too. Plus iHeart, tune in and on radio.com. 101.5 WORDFM, Pittsburgh. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. Capitol Hill negotiations on emergency spending to combat the coronavirus are likely to produce a bill that's well above the $2.5 billion plan requested by President Trump. The negotiations are proceeding well and are likely to produce legislation in the 6 to $8 billion range. Both the Democratic-controlled House and GOP-held Senate are eager to complete work on the funding in the next two weeks. The president says he'll accept funding well above his $2.5 billion request. Houston officials say emergency crews rescuing stranded drivers from the roofs of their vehicles. That's after a water main break. Flooded a freeway. Floodwaters submerged vehicles today on an eastern portion of Loop 610 in Houston. On Wall Street, stocks plummeting today over coronavirus worries. The Dow fell 1,191 points. The Nasdaq off 414. This is SRN News. As mothers and caregivers, we tend to put others before ourselves. Former Texas Governor Ann Richards once said, if you think taking care of yourself is selfish, change your mind. In planning for your retirement, it's important to pay yourself first. Women have unique needs as investors. They generally live longer than men and have less saved. Kurt Kenotic and the team at Accurate Solutions Group have developed a complimentary guide to help women achieve financial independence called 10 Tips to Help Empower Women Investors. This guide addresses the reasons every woman should have a financial plan of her own. For your copy of this guide from Accurate Solutions Group, call or text TIPS to 412-515-3555. That's 412-515-3555. Don't put others' retirement plans before your own. Take the first step toward your financial independence today. Call or text TIPS to 412-515-3555. Investment advisory services offered through ASG Investment Management, LLC. If you're in HR, you're probably wearing a lot of hats. Recruiter, team builder, trainer, mediator, policymaker, and of course, paper pusher. But not anymore. Bamboo HR is the number one HR software for small and medium businesses. It manages all your employee data easily and automates countless tasks so you can focus on people, not paperwork. Bamboo HR frees you from spreadsheets so you can do your real job, creating a great place to work. 
If the data shuffle and paperwork mountain have you ready to hang up all your hats, you're ready for Bamboo. If you handle HR records and paperwork, Bamboo HR is a dream. Let us free up your time and put your days of pushing paperwork behind you so you can focus on the people and making your company a great place to work for everyone. Try PC Magazine's top pick for HR software free today. Just go to bamboohr.com slash HR. This is a limited offer, only available to radio listeners at bamboohr.com slash HR. That's bamboohr.com slash HR. Dana Gresh presents the True Girl Pajama Party Tour, a live stage event for tween girls and their moms. Through live worship, deep Bible teaching, a fashion show, and more, it's the most fun you and your daughter will ever have digging into God's truth together. The True Girl Pajama Party Tour with Dana Gresh, coming March 6th at the Cornerstone Ministries in Murraysville, 6.30 to 9 p.m. Tickets on sale now at mytruegirl.com. If you haven't switched to Pure Talk USA, you're probably paying too much for your cell service. Pure Talk covers 99% of the country, and plans start at just $20 per line with no contract and a one-month risk-free guarantee. You've got nothing to lose. You can even keep your phone and your number. Get 50% off your first month when you call now. Just go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code HALFOFF. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code HALFOFF. Tonight, considerable cloudiness, breezy with a couple of snow showers and a low 19. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, breezy and cold with a couple of flurries and a high 31. Tomorrow night, partly to mostly cloudy with a flurry or two late and a low of 18. Saturday, a snow shower in the morning, otherwise cloudy, breezy and cold with a high of 32. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. Welcome to another edition of The Ride Home with John and Kathy, live from the Salem-Pittsburgh studios. And now, here are your hosts, John Hall and Kathy Emmons. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for coming along for the 5 o'clock edition of The Ride Home. Kath, um, you know, for years we've joked about, well, you know, hey, Kath, eat this piece of pie. And your response would be... I want to fit in my pants. Right. And then I would always say, well, just get, you know, some elastic in your pants or just a larger size of pants. I mean, it's one strategy. Right. It is my, it's is my. it been my strategy, much to my chagrin, when I look at myself in the mirror. Because I go... You look fine. Hey, Chunky. You look fine. Hey, a little you're, chubby. You're not chubby. Well, I'm a little chubby. I'm, I mean, you know. Okay, so I'm looking at this uh, article today, and I thought about us. Because according to a new data from the Center for uh, Disease Control and Prevention, more than 40% of U.S. adults are now considered obese. 40%. And nine percent of the nine percent of people in the United States uh, are considered what? What do they call it? Very uh, obese. Severe obese. So that's uh, not good. No, uh, I mean that's really a two percent increase in good. the obesity rate from 2015-2016 to this, which is the latest figures, 2017-2018. A one percent rise from the previous severe obesity rate. The changes are not deemed to be st- st- statistically significant. However, it is concerning, is it not? It is concerning. Here's it the weird is. thing. Now, to eat, we don't even have to go to the grocery store. And with Grubhub and all the different delivery services. I know. It can show up at your door. We'll never get off the I couch. I know. I know. I know. I'll tell you, though, in all the different 
like ways of eating I've pursued. I try never to diet because I feel like dieting is a waste of time right. because you're going to do something for four weeks or eight weeks and then it's going to go bad. Either you have to change the way you eat permanently or it's just not going to, you're just going to be on this, you know, roller coaster type of thing. Right. But the number one thing, and I hate to say this because this is so painful, but the number one thing that has changed my eating, and I did the low fat thing for a long time. Um, my husband doesn't eat meat, so we, do, we eat very little red meat, chicken, or anything like that. And our, the number one thing that made a difference hmm. was when I gave up sugar. Oh. That's what really made the difference. How long has it been? Uh, well, here's the thing. I gave up sugar, it's been about two, almost two years. All sugar. I gave up all sugar for an entire year and a half. And then about six months ago, I thought, I think I'm like responsible enough that I can add some in. So you had a Snickers bar. No, I. but it was somebody's birthday. I think it was my birthday. So you had some And cake. I had some cake. And I thought, okay, if I have a little bit of cake, am I going to fall off the wagon and go back right. whole hog again? Nope. And I have not gone back whole hog, but I think I'm trying to be a responsible eater. Now, wait a second, because you said whenever you have a piece of pizza, you treat yourself to a soda. Only on Sunday. Only on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Wait, so if you had pizza on a Wednesday, you're not going to have Probably soda. not. But Probably on Sunday, but, the wheels well, Okay, fall but off. what if it was Wednesday and I really hadn't had much to eat that day? Yeah. Like, say we were really busy. Sometimes we get really busy and we end up not being able to do lunch or whatever sure. it is. I might have that soda on a Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. But not if I, if I had a regular lunch, I'm not going to have the soda because then I'm gonna, it's, it seems like too much. Right. I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, the you awareness. You just have to be reasonable about it. You can't, I just, you know, I'm. we're going to try the Daniel fast. Okay, I mean, that's fine. That's a good thing. But that's only going to benefit you for a very short period of time. And then mm-hmm. you go back to your regular eating, you're going to be exactly where you were. And I'm not convinced that's great for your body no, do, no. doing the up and down thing. Okay, so I, I buy into the sugar thing. I see that. I mean, in my own life, I and know. I say it reluctantly. Yeah, okay. But so when you do have, you know, excess sugar, when you're having a big piece of Yeah, cake, my daughter's birthday was last week. Okay. I made her a chocolate cake. Does your mind go crazy? I don't notice. That's I notice no difference. Really, really. I'm you don't not like, like a spin. Nothing. Uh, help me. Nothing, and I don't notice anything from caffeine either. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let me ask you this. Yeah. We saw an article in the New York Times. I think you did. I yeah. know I did about milk and juice. Oh right. Okay. So this uh, this other study's been done where they essentially said this. You know, of all the mammals that walk on the earth right now, only us humans. We're, we're the sort of the outliers and that we drink other things besides breast milk and water. You think about, you know, soda, tea, coffee, you name it. And because of that, people who study this, you know, sort of behavior or this kind of science, they're saying you shouldn't drink anything other than milk. Well, of course, you know. Well, you shouldn't drink anything other than water. Other than water, right? right. Breast milk for a baby. Other than that, you drink water the rest of your life. You'll be much healthier because of that. So there are okay. con- there are concerns about dairy, uh, juice. I gave up juice years ago when Smoke I was. Jay. Yeah, I don't do I don't do I any juice. But here's the thing: if you love orange juice, drink orange juice. Just make an adjustment somewhere else. Yeah. Like there's no reason to just decide you're going to be miserable in all your eating and drinking for the rest of your life. That's yeah. dumb. No, no. The orange juice is kind of like you know occasionally like we'll buy like a half a gallon of orange juice and you go, man, when you have that first thing in the morning, mm. it's so delicious. Mm-hmm. It really does. You go. Oh, thank you so much. But, but, it, but it's time- weird. When you are parenting little kids, at least this is when I was parenting my little kids, when you are making the little, you know, your little um, cup, you know, sippy cup. Oh, yeah, sure. You're putting juice in there. 
Right. From the very beginning. But you cut it with water. Right. But you're still putting juice in there. Yeah, you are. So the weird thing is that once you get to be an adult, they're saying, you don't need juice. So why are we giving it to kids uh-huh. who are a right. year old? I'm asking. That's I don't. I don't know the answer. Right. But that's certainly what I did. Right. What about milk? Do you drink milk? Um, for decades, I drank milk. I bet you maybe, well, I think since my kids grew up, you know, and my kids are now, you know, late teens, early 20s, they don't drink it, and plus they're not home. So I, maybe occasionally I'll have cereal and milk. Yeah, that's about but, it. You know, I don't drink milk We used milk to drink either. milk every night, right. a glass of milk at dinner. No, I don't do that right. anymore. When you were a kid, you drank a oh, glass of milk at dinner, right? Every night. Because when we were little, that was the thing, is that you were, and was it whole milk? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thick. Viscous in your I can't mouth. stand that. No, I don't mind it. I hate it. I mean, look, look. It's so gross. How about a milkshake? No. Well, milkshake yeah, is lovely, yeah. but that's adding all the sugar that I'm trying to stay away uh-huh. from, but it's right. absolutely so fabulous. Okay, all this bad news, I've got good news. What is the good news? It's National Chili Day. Hey! Yes, oh. it is. So I support that because I had chili what? today. You did? I did, yeah. My wife made chili uh, what, on Sunday. Look at how observant you are. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it delicious? So oh, what excellent. was it like? Did it have meat in it? Oh, yeah, of course it did. Did it have beans? It had beans. It had olives. Uh, it had olives, black mm, or black green? Black olives. Black olives. Mm, okay. It's delicious. Super delicious. Wow. I haven't little, had uh, chili in a while. A little sour cream mixed in. I'm how about cheddar about cheese on top? Oh, sure. That's fine. What about some chopped green onion? Oh, excellent. All the way around. What about a little avocado? <laughs> See, Aren't those see, delicious options? I love yeah. chili. That's why we're a little obese, because so, we have a little of this, a little bit of that, right, and right, before you know it. Okay, but here's the thing. Since my husband doesn't eat meat, I make vegetarian chili. Okay. Oh, that's I have fine. to tell you, it is delicious. Oh, sure it is. It is fine. Yeah. I very much enjoy it. And I put a butternut squash in the last one. Delicious. It took it over the All top. All right, fine. Okay. Very, anyway, happy, happy National Chili Day. Excellent. Who doesn't love chili? Do you love any chili at a restaurant that you can think of? I, I don't think I do that. Eden Park chili. No. Awesome. I don't trust somebody else's chili. I don't. I just don't trust it. I'm not. Because you don't know what's in there. What does what's going that on? mean? I don't what tr- does that mean? I don't trust somebody else's chili. chili? You eat at restaurants, don't you? It's complex. Why There's do you a- trust somebody else's pizza or burrito? Pizza's kind of basic. Chili is a little more complex. Who knows what's in there? I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I'm plus... It's a com- it's like a home comfort food. I'm not going to go into like Eaton Park and have some chili. No, I'm just not doing that. Anyway, just saying. All right, take a break. Come back. You have some neuroses uh, little, uh, that I well, just don't. The doctor is in, right? <laughs> Lucy Van Pelt. Okay, take a break. Be back in a few minutes. Don't miss this next segment. Boy, you're going to hear a story that it's just incredible. 101.5 WORD. It's been said that the true measure of a man is how he treats someone who can do absolutely nothing for him. Our study of James this week on Through the Bible teaches us how we're to treat people in the different parts of society. I'm Steve Sweats, inviting you to board the Bible bus as our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, takes us through what he calls God's war on poverty and his war on riches. Through the Bible, this evening at 9 p.m. on 101.5 WORD. We have a major problem here in Pennsylvania, very much like other addictions plaguing our communities. The threat is unregulated gambling on illegal slot machines, camouflaged as skill games. They're popping up everywhere at gas pumps, pizza parlors, and your local convenience store. State police describe these places as breeding grounds for loan sharking and money laundering. If you object to your community becoming a mini Las Vegas, make your voice heard. Call one 888 472 4418. 
Report those places that are enticing our kids into gambling disguised as entertainment. It's an activity that siphons money away from the Pennsylvania Lottery, whose proceeds go to supporting seniors in our state. Please phone now. This is serious. That number again is 1-888-472-4418. Paid for by Pennsylvanians Against Illegal Gambling, Executive Board Member Peter Shelley. Here is some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance or if you sign up for a plan that you're just not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's the affordable alternative to health insurance. And it's worked beautifully for 25 years. They have more than 400,000 members now around the country. MediShare is a Christian healthcare sharing ministry. And over the years, members have shared over $3 billion of each other's medical bills. So they could help share your needs too. And best of all, you could save a lot of money with MediShare. The typical savings for a family is about 500 bucks a month. Your savings could be more or less, but think about what you could do with that extra money every month. You're not stuck with a high-cost health plan. You can join MediShare anytime, so call them today and check it out. Here's the number to find out more, and there's no pressure. They are super easy to talk to. Call 844-45-BIBLE. That's 844-45-BIBLE. 844-45-BIBLE. Liberty Mutual Insurance Company presents... And Doug. Lemu. when we're not telling people that Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance so you only pay for what you need... I've actually been moonlighting as a DJ. Check it! Here's the good part! Liberty, 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 liberty. Only pay for what you need at LibertyMutual.com. A few weeks back, we had Dr. Joshua Swamidas join us. He, he wrote a brand new book called The Genealogical Adam and Eve, The Surprising Science of Universal Ancestry. And it is fascinating. We really loved the conversation. So we wanted to invite Dr. Swamidas back again. And this time, Dr. Swamidas has agreed to tell us his journey into Jesus. And uh, Joshua, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Before we talk about your story, um, I want to talk a little bit about how you begin um, your article on finding confident faith in science on this uh, dichotomy that seems to be set up in uh, contemporary Western life, which is that everything there is to know, everything that there is to learn, science will provide for us. And so if there's something that science doesn't provide for us, it just means that, that scientists haven't discovered yet, um, because science is going to ultimately tell us everything we need to know. Yeah, so that is a common view. It seems very reasonable in a world where science is really powerful. Science is powerful, right? But isn't that comically false? Think about the things that are most important to you in your life and how it's inconceivable how science could possibly tell you that. I mean, just let me give you just a simple example. I I live in St. Louis. It's not not Pittsburgh, but it's St. Louis, right? It's it's a divided city where we see see like the long-term generational impact of the sins of our ancestors of racism. We live in a divided city. The city is still divided. And I've encountered racism there like I never have before. Science has no answer for this. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, It's not even like we don't have an answer. We don't even know how to begin the question of even determining whether or not racism is wrong. Because science isn't and the appropriate domain to be figuring that out. Yeah. 
And, you know, the way how some people have talked about it, you said the word domain, which some people will say magisteria. They'll point to Stephen Jay Gould, who talked about uh, non-overlapping magisteria. So maybe what scientists cares about is the physical world and faith cares about uh, the moral world. But that's not quite correct either, because if you think about it, some of the most important things in the physical world, science doesn't tell you about. Mm. You know, I went out on a date yesterday with my wife. <laughs> we went to a great Brazilian barbecue place. This is something that actually happened in the physical world. It wasn't, it wasn't actually imaginary. <laughs> and, and it's important. And the fact that we could talk about all of the physical events that happened that brought us together, they're extremely important. And there's not one single peer-reviewed paper about them. So what then about the uh, Christian response to that, which is we're recognizing that we're living in uh, what many people consider to be a reason-based culture, though that, of course, that is up for debate. Um, but we need to <laughs> so we need to approach our faith reasonably. So there's a rise of apologetics and we're going to try to assess the natural world as much as we can and kind of prove people or convince people rationally into the kingdom of God. Well, I would say that, first of all, it's a very normal, natural, and human way of thinking. It just turns out that that's not actually what God asks of us. Now, I want to be clear here. Our faith is reasonable. We want to present a coherent view of how we come to understand the world. But at the same time, Paul says he preaches foolishness to the Greeks. The foolishness of that this man rose from the dead. Because I tell you what, the idea that a man, Jesus, rose from the dead after being dead, sinking in the grave for three days, that is not reasonable. No, right. And, <laughs> and there's really no way to get around the unreasonable foolishness of that idea. And it's not like that's a discardable part of our faith. That ends up being the core piece of it. Right. So something fundamentally is going on where maybe there's something reasonable in our reality, but something is going on, something is intersecting with our reality, showing us that there's another way possible. Dr. Joshua Swamidas is with us. Dr. Swamidas is a scientist, a physician, associate professor of laboratory and genomic medicine at Washington University in St. Louis, where he uses artificial intelligence to explore science at the intersection of medicine, biology, and chemistry. So, Joshua, go back. Go back to your childhood and talk about the early days of your life as you were born and raised in Southern California by a Christian family of Indian immigrants. Yeah, so I was raised a young earth creationist, and my parents cared a great deal about education. I loved it. I found, I mean, back in the day, there's something that most people don't even know about called the Discovery Channel, things like Shark Week and such. Yeah. <laughs> and I really, I really loved learning about science as a kid. And, you know, they make references to an earth that was billions of years old, and they'd make references to evolution. And I knew, obviously, well, that doesn't really match, like, this origin story that I'm that just seems obvious from Scripture. You know, I wrote a book explaining how it isn't in conflict with, with Scripture. And, you know, the scientific side is, is, you know, I became a scientist. I got to see the evidence for myself. But I tell you, that actually, the hardest piece of it wasn't scientific and it wasn't scriptural. It was actually a question of loyalties. It was a question of lordship. So what had happened in my life is that I encountered the scientific world. It made me insecure. And so then I started looking to human arguments. Uh, to, to give me confidence. And in fact, that search for confidence is really what brought me to creation science and then intelligent design and all these sorts of places where I found a temporary sort of confidence, but it was a very vulnerable confidence that could always be overturned by someone being smarter, more knowledgeable, 
and so on and so forth. I mean, I, I tell a story in that article, uh, Finding Confident Faith in Science, where uh, I, was a, I was in school and there was a man who came visit our house who was a young earth creationist too. Mm-hmm. But he had this crazy idea that, hey, you know, honestly, evolution could work. There isn't actually a scientific problem with it. It was just that I know it's not true because that's not what Scripture said. And, and then from that point of view, he just kind of dismantled all of my scientific arguments against evolution. And he didn't even believe evolution was true. <laughs> and that just left me completely uh, rudderless at sea, and I just burst into tears. Yeah, okay. so I mean, that, that's okay, the so, uh, end of uh, uh, unconfident faith is, no, right? I mean, I'm, I'm no psychotherapist here, but I want to I hear why that, because I think it tells us something important about you. Why did you burst into tears when you had that conversation with him? Well, probably because I had two loves that I was trying to figure out. On one hand, I was really drawn and made for science, and I loved it. But it was threatening something else that I loved, which was, you know, this person I'd heard about of Jesus. But I wouldn't even have put it that way. I would have probably said this world um, that had been handed to me by my parents, uh, where it was a very Christian world, um, it was something that was valuable and important to me. But it wasn't yet living for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so, so how do I hold those two things together? I couldn't make sense of it. And so when someone took away that barrier, which is like, well— I like science, and that's why I reject evolution. Took away that barrier, then you know it's an identity crisis, right? Yeah, sure. Who am I? Okay, so then w- with that, you ex- you know you become uh, a believer, right? I would say at ten years of age or even younger. Then all of a sudden, at ten years of age, you sort of get probed into you know what what your faith is about, or at least about what science and faith uh, hold in parallel views. But then in junior high. The kids go, you know what, you wouldn't necessarily be a Christian if your parents weren't Christians as well. And in many ways, mm-hmm. that was sort of like um, the, the, the bulwark of, of you becoming mature in your faith. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and I would say that this is also a profoundly science scientist question. I wouldn't say a scientific question, but a scientist question. This is a question that scientists ask, that we want to know not what is true, but how we know it's true. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, like science is epistemologically driven. You can be right on the final answer, but if your way of getting to that answer is wrong, we're not okay with it. And this is one of those ways how I know I think for science. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So then at that age in junior high, you knew something was true, but how did you know that it was true? Well, I would say I was questioning because honestly, when I looked around the church, you know, I was was an Indian kid, immigrant, parents didn't know how to dress me right, awkward. (laughs) Um, in a Christian context that was entirely white, I don't think I even realized the type of like cultural conflicts that were making life difficult. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, my family wasn't perfect, so my, I love my parents, and you know, they were faithful to the Lord the best I know how. Yeah, you know, just there's just so much that didn't make sense. And I looked at churches, and they looked so man-made. <laughs> Everything in the Christian faith looked so man-made, and you know, I looked at other religions. They look man-made, too. <laughs> and so then I was at this point of, well, if it all looks man-made, what's the point of it? <laughs> okay, and, but then you went yeah. to this week-long camp, right? And the short, fall, the short, fat, bald man got up to talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. What did he say? Do you remember? Well, he said that he said something from Jeremiah. That's all I remember. Yeah, he talked about how God was molding us with potters on clay. And it was interesting because it was one of the first times I first like, experienced what real worship was like. 
And so I started to see this real presence in the, in the world that was living. It was also one of the first times where Scripture was more than just reciting a set of answers or defending a particular view. I mean, I knew Scripture, but now it was like, oh, wow, God's actually speaking to me in my moment. This actually makes sense of my world. But then I think the key thing was actually reading a book by uh, Josh McDowell called More Than mm-hmm. a Carpenter. Where, and I think this is an important point, because he's talking as an atheist, explaining how he came epistemologically to understand that Jesus really rose from the dead. And so this is the key point that I learned. Um, unlike what I learned in Young Earth Creationism, at least the version I always presented, they taught that the epistemological entry point to the Christian faith was creation science. Right. And course. that when you come, become convinced that that's true, mm-hmm. then you become convinced that the Bible's true, right. and that's how we know that Jesus is who he said he was. So if you get let go of creation science, maybe you hold on to Jesus, but it's all going to fall apart because mm-hmm. you let go of the foundation. Mm-hmm. That's what they taught me, and I believed it. But here's the thing. That is a wonderful idea. I could even say it's a rational idea, but it's actually in direct conflict with what Scripture teaches. What Scripture teaches is that Jesus is a cornerstone. He is the foundation. He is a starting point. And what is meant by that? Well, Jesus has a peculiar thing that he says when skeptics came to him. He said that there's one sign that he's going to give to skeptical people coming, asking questions. And I was a skeptical person coming, asking questions. My colleagues and my university, other scientists I meet are skeptical people because we want to know how do you know it's true? Not what is true, but how do you know it's true? He says, I'll give you one sign. What's a sign? A sign is a miracle with evidence, and public evidence, out there that anyone can go see and acknowledge exists. So we can disagree about our interpretation of it. That is public, right? Yes. And what he said is that he's going to give one sign to the skeptics, one thing that he will do. And that sign is the sign of Jonah, that the Son of Man will mm-hmm. enter the earth for three days and will rise again uh, at the end of that. And, it, and that actually becomes the articulation of the gospel, there was a really important article I read um, when I was a young faculty member trying to figure out what it meant to follow Jesus here. And there's an article um, called uh, How to Share the Gospel Clearly, and it goes straight to 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through, uh, 5 through 7, or 3 through 7. It says that according to Scripture, and at that point Scripture didn't mean the Bible generally. It meant, this is really a statement, according to prophecy, mm-hmm. this man Jesus from Palestine died for our sins, and he was buried. That burial is actually a statement about something that he actually had a body that went away. Mm-hmm. Uh, that everyone had given up hope on him and put him to... I mean, no one... I mean, I, I work, I'm a physician. I've, I've worked in the hospital um, in my education, and you never put a person into the grave that you think might have a chance of living. Sure. And then, and so there's an evidence statement there. And then it says that he was seen by many, and a lot of people also point out to other formulations that will mention the empty tomb, which is also a key point. And He's seen by many, and like Paul lists off several people, and then he finally comes to himself and says, you know, I'm the one I'm normally born, but, but Jesus also came to me, and I saw him. And now we don't see Jesus in the same way that Thomas did, able to touch his hands, but when I was in that camp uh, with Gary Zalewski and experienced him worship for the first time, okay. I had a vision of something, right? I saw an experience of something that now all of a sudden I could understand was more than just you know, preference, more than just a human-made experience, but it's actually rooted in the physical reality of this world, that God made himself to known to all people, that he exists, and that he's good, and that he wants to be known, not through a human argument, but just by brute acts 
of miraculous work in this world at a moment and a place in which we would all come to see it. Dr. Joshua Swamidas is with us, scientist, physician, associate professor of laboratory and genomic medicine at Washington University in St. Louis. He's the author of The Genealogical Adam and Eve, The Surprising Science of Universal Ancestry. Stay close. It's that time of the year at the Springhouse in 84. It's dairy farm tour time. That's right. We actually invite classes of school children to our real working dairy farm. The children love feeding the calf, milking the cow, and even seeing where the cows sleep and smelling what they eat. Many children today have never even touched a baby calf, nor have they associated the wonderful cow as the source of the milk that they get from the grocery store. At the Springhouse in 84, we are so committed to teaching children about farming and helping them understand how much the city mouse and the country mouse truly need each other. Call 228-3339 or have your child's teacher set up a date for your child's classroom farm tour and let us share a little of our farm with you at the Springhouse in 84. Impact Mortgage Corp. DBA Cash Call Mortgage. NMLS ID 128231. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in all states including New York. Offer not available in Washington. Call 855-657-9910 for licensing terms and restrictions. You see it on TV every day. Global turmoil. But these international events help keep interest rates low and may even drive them lower. In response, we at Cash Call Mortgage have lowered our interest rates for the new year, and that's great news for homeowners. If you have a current rate above 2.99%, call us to see how much you can save. If you qualify, we'll even pay your closing costs, and we can close your refi in as fast as 20 days with no upfront deposit. With our low interest rates and no closing costs if you qualify, there's never been a better time to lock in a low rate before it's gone. For a free quote, go to CashCallMortgage.com or call 800-990-6947. That's 800-990-6947. 800-990-6947. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt, credit card debt, and I heard a commercial for Trinity. I gave them a call. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. When I first called, I was a little embarrassed and kind of ashamed, and I looked at the numbers, and I saw how quickly that astronomical debt that was in my life would go away. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. What I would tell other people, please pick up the phone and call Trinity. Just let them put together a program and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. Call Trinity at 1-800-990-6976. That's 1-800-990-6976. We are everywhere. On your radio at 101.5 WORD-FM Pittsburgh at wordfm.com, the Word FM mobile app by heart, tune in, and at radio.com. Tonight, considerable cloudiness, breezy with a couple of snow showers and a low 19. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, breezy and cold with a couple of flurries and a high 31. Tomorrow night, partly to mostly cloudy with a flurry or two late and a low of 18. Saturday, a snow shower in the morning, otherwise cloudy, breezy and cold with a high of 32. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Gregory Patrick. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Josh Swamidas. 
He's a scientist physician, associate professor of laboratory and genomic medicine at Washington University in St. Louis. I wonder if he's a baseball fan. I hope he's not, because I don't want to fight with them in Central Division. Anyway, he's also the author of The Genealogical Adam and Eve, The Surprising Science of Universal Ancestry. So, Josh, you're telling the story about being a, a young kid. You're 10 years old. This guy comes into your house, and he, he essentially sort of you know, paints a different picture of, of faith and science for you, and, and it crushes you in many ways, I and mean, it makes you cry. And, and so that skepticism that was, you know, that seed of skepticism, in many ways, you know, that, that made you anxious. And, of course, you know, what, when me, when just like, you know, a regular Joe, when I'm skeptical of my faith, when I, you know, sort of experience that dark night of the soul, I, I go into turmoil. I just am like in a free fall. But you, after your initial shock, it did something different to you. It excited you. And it drove you into finding the truth. Can you tell us about that and talk well, about that? Well, I wouldn't know if it excited me. I think it was more like just trying to figure it out. It was like your silence. In a lot of ways, I didn't talk to people about it. I was just trying to figure it out for myself. I don't even know how I found that book more than a carpenter. But I think it was, once again, the scientist's question. I mean, you know, we're, in the, we're in the season of Lent. Some of us are going to be having, uh, you know, going to Easter services in a few weeks. Yes. And you want to think about who is asking the scientist's question. Maybe it's actually scientists that you know. Maybe it's your kids that are trying to figure out, well, how do I know that this is true? Maybe I like this Christian faith. Maybe I don't like this Christian faith. Maybe I don't know anything about it. But how would I know if it was true? That was kind of where I was at. And it was a deeply personal and and long, and I would even say difficult. To say excited is not quite the right way to put it. But what what happened is that I found something. That's the key thing, hmm. is that I found something that, I mean, for example, I can see just an immense amount of legitimacy to atheism, and, and not an atheism, just being an agnostic and saying, I don't know. And frankly, if I hadn't found this thing, I would probably be an atheist right now. I found this one thing. I told you that, that so much of Christianity seemed man-made, but the one thing that didn't seem man-made was this man, Jesus. Right. He looked so profoundly good. <laughs> And I couldn't explain history. I mean, there's this gigantic question mark over history of how the Christian faith arose. When you look at Mormonism, it's really easy to make sense of it. Um, you can kind of go down the list of religions, and just say it's really easy to make sense of it. But when you look at Jesus and the rise of the early church, and how they spread without power, they spread without power. And then the reason why they were willing to face the lions was literally the same gospel that I heard as a child from my mother, just two, year old, two years old, that Jesus died and rose again for my sins. Let me interrupt you, Josh, and, ta- and talk about the same gospel, because this is a really beautiful part of this article that you've written, um, that the same gospel has turned the course of history from the very beginning until now. And so when you think about historical figures and you read the gospel they're talking about, you talk about, you, you reference the Apostle Paul, you talk about St. Augustine, you talk about Pascal writing, fast, flash forward to the 17th century. You talk about C.S. Lewis, uh, flash forward to the 20th century, and you see this is the same gospel, but then it's you. Then it's your own personal story, and that's where the whole movement of God becomes so large and so amazing that the hardest hearts can be persuaded. right? Yeah, Yeah, right. And so it, it transcends denominations, it transcends particular takes on God, it transcends particular doctrinal controversies. 
it's just bigger. And you find out that God has revealed him to this man named Jesus. Jesus is greater than all of the nonsense that I saw in the church. And he was greater than all of my fear and insecurity that I found in science. And, in fact, and this is actually the irony of it all. I mean, I'm a Christian that affirms evolutionary science. I see no problem that I believe that God created us through a providential process, a providentially governed process of common descent. And often people tell me it's because I have an issue with my loyalties, that I trust science over Scripture. Mm. And in fact, that's the reason, that was the last and most important reason why I resisted it. But what it really came down to, actually, is I encountered the living God, the one who revealed himself directly to all people through this man, Jesus, and who is a living presence in the world through the Holy Spirit we experience him to this day in this way that, that just completely discarded any notion of human help. <laughs> it didn't need help. Like, he, he didn't need help to be known. It's not like there was someone there with, like, you know, some flippers to shock him back to life or something. <laughs> it's not like, even Paul, like, was one of the smartest people in the Christian faith, you know, who writes Romans and, and helps them make the transition to deal with Gentiles. He says, I have nothing greater to show you here than this raw act of God's power in the world to make himself known. Mm-hmm. It's foolishness, I know, but that's what God did. And then, so I have to really sit down as the brilliant scientist that some people think I am, though I'm not sure if I'm brilliant. <laughs> and I have to sit down as, like, the American I am that really likes America. I have to, start to sit down as, you know, the person who is technologically driven and likes progress, consider that there is something here that I cannot possibly imagine adding to. And that's what's so profound about the gospel. Is it static? It is the same. It might be articulated in different languages in different ways, but it is the single thing that's constant across all of this stuff and transforming all of these things in a way that doesn't make sense unless there's some sort of living presence behind it. And in fact, there is. Joshua Swamidas is with us. Dr. Swamidas, he is the author of The Genealogical Adam and Eve, The Surprising Science of Universal Ancestry. So, Joshua, talk for a second. I mean, people talk often about, you know, creation and, um, you know, you're talking about uh, uh, the beginnings of it all and and that first cell. I mean, uh, is this something that scientists who are believers talk about, about, you know, how did the first cell arrive? What, what, What was that like? I mean, is that even a, a question yeah. that arises? Yeah, that's something else I talk about in the story. So, yes, to be clear, there's often crazy claims made, but scientists don't know how the first cell is. There's some interesting ideas. No one really knows. And it's an open question. And, you know, I, I was in my Ph.D. program, and, and that was initially a very threatening question to even try and ask the question of how it could have happened without God. But there's this freedom that started to come when... I had my confidence in what God had done rather than in human arguments. Well, you know, I guess I don't know how God made the first cell, and I don't know how much it was through natural processes and how much it was just through, you know, providential things that I'll never understand, but that give me the freedom to actually be able to engage and think about these things. And instead of becoming an argument, instead of being a place of threat or a weapon to use against people, it started to become a place of beauty and discovery. And wonder. I mean, I, I think that anyone who's paying attention to the question of the origin of life should be wondering what happened and how. That I can be certain of. Uh, in terms of the answer, I think we should be proposing answers, but how, who the heck could claim to know? Even, even if people who claim to have demonstrated that it had to have acquired an intelligent designer or God, they don't know how God did it. 
They're just saying that he was involved somehow and wave their hands. And I, and I think that, that, that that's kind of missing the most interesting part. <laughs> that's the part, that's the mystery. That's, that's where the call of mystery is supposed to beckon us to wonder about the grand things together. We're wondering about the grand things together with Dr. Swami Das. Washington University in St. Louis will continue our conversation in just a bit. WORD. Next time on PowerPoint with Jack Cram. Heaven will be a multiracial, multi-ethnic place marked by love and grace and peace. No more racial hostility. No more brokenness. No more segregation. No more separation. Tune in next time for PowerPoint with Jack Graham. PowerPoint, tonight at 9.30 on 101.5 WORD. The statement is not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Individual results will vary. If you tried to lose weight and failed, it wasn't your fault. According to leading medical experts, when we cut back on how much we eat, our body shifts into survival mode, reducing our metabolism and making us even hungrier. But now, a breakthrough discovery that helps you fight food cravings is available without a prescription. Riduzone uses your body's natural appetite control, a molecule called OEA, to break that cycle. Riduzone is the only product that contains OEA. I've lost 75 pounds using Riduzone. My husband has lost 50 pounds using Riduzone. Riduzone has made it so that we eat less food, and it has taken away the cravings that we used to have. Riduzone has made it so that I can lose the weight without feeling hungry. Go to Riduzone.com. Use promo code today to save up to 65% off your order. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. Save up to 65% and get free shipping by using promo code today at Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. When the brake whistle blows, why waste time on a sandwich run when your crew could have a home-style meat and potatoes meal hot and waiting on site? The Cooked Goose Catering Company provides down-to-earth food for hungry crews of 10 or more. Try their bestseller, roast beef and stuffed chicken breast with master roasted potatoes and green beans, just $10.95 a person. Visit cookedgoosecatering.com word. And get back to work. The Cooked Goose Catering Company. Just good food. What gives one company the edge over another? Maybe it's not one thing. Maybe it's taking care of lots of things that help a business run smoothly. In other words, Cintas. Cintas has products that help your people stay safe and apparel programs that convey the right image. They service fire protection equipment, deliver and stock restroom supplies, and make sure facilities are clean and ready. Because when all those things work together, you're in business. Oh, I'm ready. Get Cintas and get ready for the workday. Hello, this is Terry Hanna, host of Christians with Secret Addictions. I'm not a pastor, theologian, therapist, or counselor. I'm a Christian with 26 years of healing from multiple addictions. If you or a loved one are lost in the wilderness of an addiction, we're here for you every Sunday evening at 6.45 p.m. on 101.5 WORD. Why not join us on this spiritual journey to the promised land of healing? Talk to you Sunday. We're talking with Dr. Joshua Swamidas. His brand new work is called The Genealogical Adam and Eve, The Surprising Science of Universal Ancestry. Josh, when I was growing up, uh, my dad was a scientist and my dad wasn't a believer. And so I was always acutely aware that my faith was at odds with his science. And I was on this perpetual search for the thing that was going to convince him, 
right? The argument that I was going to make, but that was probably wasn't going to happen because I was the kid, but the scientist <laughs> I could introduce him to that would be the one that would convince him um, or the, you know, it was going to be a cosmologist or it was going to be, you know, some kind of radio astronomer or somebody that was going to, to, to finally convince him. And you tell a story in your article about, I don't remember if it was when you were in high school or college, but you had a friend who was an atheist and you thought, you know, this is my moment. I, I'm a rational person and I'm scientific and I can convince him to believe in Jesus. Talk about that story. Yeah, well, to be clear, it just didn't work. <laughs> he was. <laughs> so I had these human arguments, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and they were. I thought they were good. They were very convincing to me. They just didn't have any effect on him. And it's not because he wasn't trying to understand it. I mean, it just wasn't there. And, and, and this actually gets to the issue of how Scripture talks about this. So certainly, our faith is reasonable on some level, but it's also interacting with something that transcends our reason. So how, how, how do I give an account? This is a good way to put it. How do I give an account to my friend who is reasonable and considering the evidence as best he can about why he doesn't believe and I do? I think that's a really important question. And Scripture actually has language to talk about this. And the way I've explained it is to say, you know, I think what's going on is it's not that I process evidence in a different way than you. And because now I say this to other scientists and they look at my scientific work and they know that's true. It's not that I'm smarter than you. I find a more clever argument somewhere. I think I just, the reason why is I've just seen something you haven't seen yet. And if I hadn't seen that, I'd probably be in your shoes. And maybe you'll see it too. And, it's, and I think what's powerful about that is, first of all, that's exactly how Scripture talks about it. That's when it talks about a witness, right? right. Um, where we take our personal experience, and it becomes public evidence when we confess it publicly. So when I'm saying that I've seen something and confessing that I've seen something, and it becomes public to this person now, even though it was a private experience. But what's going on, too, is that there's a component of this, is that if a person doesn't actually look, they don't actually seek, they're not actually curious, then they'll never know. Right. And so, there's actually no way to resolve that. There's, so you can't convince someone into heaven then? You can't. What you can do is invite them. I mean, there's a parable that, that I think is really helpful. I think it makes really sense when you think about Paul and Mars Hill and Acts 17, where it's the parable of the invitations going out to a party, mm-hmm. where the, the gospel is supposed to be the invitation. And the first response to it is not necessarily belief or acceptance, but it's curiosity. It's when we're you know, what is that party about? Is there really a party? Or is that just, you know, a trick you're playing on me? But if a person's not even curious, then they'll never know. And if you point to something other than a way that'll give them that epistemological way to the truth, then they'll not even know if it's real. So, you know, when you declare the resurrection and the fact that there is evidence towards it, and that this is one of the grand questions over history, now a person can hear that invitation and they can reject it. And in fact, that's okay. We don't have to convince them to take that. Or they can hear that invitation, and for whatever reason, maybe it's because they actually trust you and care about you and think that if you say there's something real there, that there maybe really is. Right. That, and if they take that and they, they go down that rabbit hole, then you know they might see something too. And that ends up being the way how the gospel has spread for 2,000 years. One of the... Some of the most powerful stories, actually, I've been hearing how scientists have come to the faith, because they always, well, not always, 
very often, I should say, come to faith by the epistemological path that, that I'm talking about. The, 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 the road of scientists goes through the resurrection, because that's the epistemological door to a faith. But it's weird to hear some of these stories. Like Francis Collins writes about this in the article I mentioned someone else. But a friend of mine, Cy Garth, just wrote a book called Finding My Faith. He's a scientist. He was, he was uh, 40 years old, a biologist, an atheist. And um, he had a friend who started inviting him to church, and he went, and it started to disturb him a bit. I mean, he was an atheist, to be clear. He just started to ask questions. And he was asking questions and trying to make sense of this and that. And then he started to have dreams. Mm-hmm. And there was this dream that he had of coming up to a garden that he wanted to get into, but there was, a, there, was, there was no way to get in. He couldn't go around it. He couldn't go through it. He couldn't go under it. He couldn't go over it. He tried to get into this garden, and he couldn't. This is a grown man having this dream, right? And, and then all of a sudden he looks over, and he sees Jesus. He says, oh, just take the door. And he takes the door and walks into the, into the garden, and then he wakes up. Yeah, <laughs> That's a great dream. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. And here's the thing. He sits back, and he can think about, you know, is this just my underlying psych- psychosis coming sure. out? Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. And he writes about this in the book beautifully. I really highly recommend it. It's Finding My Faith by Sidegard. If you can, you should invite him on the show. Great. But I think what's, what's beautiful about this story is that it just— I mean, yeah, there's ways to explain it away, but he also was there. He had the stream. He's not making it up. He's seen it. And he's aligning this up with what he's seen in history with Jesus. He's lining up with what he's seeing in the testimony of other people. And he's saying, no, this, is, this can be explained away, but why should I explain it away when it seems to be a real part of my reality? And then, you know, something comes along. He realizes that he follows this one who's good. And that's how he knows that God exists. And also that this God wants to be known, so wants to be known so much that he sends atheist biologist professors dreams. Fabulous. So like your friend, the invitation was made, and then Cy picked up the invitation and found his way into the garden. That's right. And so that, that's the thing. You know, when it comes to this, in particular, I'm not an evangelist. This is not a, uh, about a gift. This is about the command of Scripture to confess that Jesus is the Lord to believe in our hearts that, he, that, that he, he will rise us from the dead. And there's a reason why, that he rose from the dead and therefore will rise us from the dead. The reason why is like that, 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 that statement, Jesus is Lord, parallels the statement, Caesar is Lord. They were, they were being asked by society to say that Caesar is Lord. But Paul said, you know what, even though it's under a pain of death, say Jesus is Lord. And know in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead. That's funny, we take that term... Uh, that idea of believe in your heart, and we focus on that. But the really key thing is to say, confess with your mouth. Confess with your mouth, right. Say the words. Joshua Swami Dasar, time's up. We could talk for a long, long, long time, but, you know, radio is what it is, and our time is limited. So thank you so much. Scientist, physician, associate professor of laboratory and genomic medicine at Washington University in St. Louis. His work is the genealogical Adam and Eve, the surprising science of universal ancestry. I'm posting an article to which we referred on our Facebook page, The Ride Home with John Cat. Yeah, so Josh, come back and do it again next month. Always a pleasure. Take a break. Come back. Um, space tourism. You want to do this? The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. I had a 
lot of credit card debt and I couldn't pay my bills. I was feeling so bad. I got to a point where I needed some help. So I reached out and contacted Trinity. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-936-5496 to talk to a certified counselor. They were able to take all of my different payments and put them all together. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, put a stop to late fees and over-limit charges, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. And they were actually able to work with my creditors. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000 in the last 18 months. If your debt has you down, call Trinity at 1-800-936-5496. My name is Stephanie, and I'm debt-free for keeps. 1-800-936-5496. We have a major problem here in Pennsylvania, very much like other addictions plaguing our communities. The threat is unregulated gambling on illegal slot machines, camouflaged as skill games. They're popping up everywhere at gas pumps, pizza parlors, and your local convenience store. State police describe these places as breeding grounds for loan sharking and money laundering. If you object to your community becoming a mini Las Vegas, make your voice heard. Call 1-888-472-4418. Report those places that are enticing our kids into gambling disguised as entertainment. It's an activity that siphons money away from the Pennsylvania Lottery, whose proceeds go to supporting seniors in our state. Please phone now. This is serious. That number again is 1-888-472-4418. Paid for by Pennsylvanians Against Illegal Gambling. Executive Board Member Peter Shelley. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. Upon your passing, you wouldn't want a judge to decide who raises your children or how your estate gets divided. It is important to review your estate planning documents to ensure they protect what matters most. At Abernathy and Hagerman, we will work with you to establish an estate plan that nominates a guardian for your minor children and that your assets are used for your family's benefit. Judge for yourself. For legal help that lasts a lifetime, visit a-h.law. You come to Family Dollar for great deals on soda, snacks, and scents, but have you checked out our stylish selection of bed and bath decor? This week, select items are 25% off. You don't want to miss this deal, so visit your neighborhood Family Dollar today. I get this warm feeling every single time we have special needs patients in our office. Their needs are not that different from anybody else. Spending the time with that patient is very rewarding to me. Exceptional dentistry meets compassionate care at StockFamilyDentistry.com. So billionaires, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, all of them individually are on a mission to start tourism to the stars. And uh, after an accident in 2014, Richard Branson suspended his uh, online um, um, sale. Oh, his sale. Of Mm -hmm. getting people to go into space. However, the the sales have uh, already resumed as of just a few weeks ago. He is planning to go to the outer edge of space, to the very cusp of space, I should say, sometime perhaps as far as as early of June of this year. How about this? Uh, Already the Johns are expected to cost upwards of Mm $250,000. The company, uh, Virgin Space, has targeted a first commercial flight carrying Mr. Branson, who turns 70 this year, uh, along with eight other people. 
uh, somewhere, uh, you know, soon, although the, the plans are still kind of shaky. Yeah, no kidding. The whole thing's kind of shaky. Here's the deal. A large plane carrying a smaller plane goes up high in the sky, releases the smaller plane. You can experience, they're saying, three to four minutes of weightlessness at $250,000 a pop for somewhere in the average of a 90-minute flight to the edge of space. For $250,000. Yep. Would you do it? Absolutely not. Free seat? Not even a chance. A free seat? Nope. Really? No. Because you're afraid what? Something might happen. I Because I just don't have confidence that the marketing of this has not overtaken the reason. Right. To be a space guinea pig. Come on. I don't know. Would I mean, you? I think I'd think long and hard about it, yeah. Would you? Heck yeah. I guess that doesn't surprise me. Your love of space and astronomical things. Jump on this thing. Let's go. It's a risk, right? I mean, It's, it's not, a huge risk. Yeah. It's not a little risk. It's a huge risk. Right. I don't know. Anyway, I'd like to sign up. Hey, we're uh, streaming live. Check us out online. Home with John and Kathy, a production of Salem Media Group.